Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring the consciousness of animals. With me is Dr. Carlene Stenge, who is a doctor of veterinary medicine based in Durango, Colorado. She is the author of The Spiritual Nature of Animals, a country vet explores the wisdom, compassion, and souls of animals. Welcome, Carlene. Thank you, Jeffrey. I've watched your show for years. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm very grateful to be one of your guests. It's a pleasure to be with you. In you, like I suppose many of us, uh, grew up uh, with the notion in the culture that animals are very, very different from humans, maybe not even conscious. Maybe they don't even feel pain, for <laughs> example. Mm. All right. Yeah, I'd heard things like that my whole life. Animals don't feel pain. Animals are not conscious. Animals do not feel love. Animals do not have souls. And none of this made any sense to me from what I observed. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to understand this better. And for, as a veterinarian, I can make an animal unconscious with anesthesia. So it follows that it was conscious to begin with. Yeah. Right? And animals experience many different states of consciousness, yeah. including dreaming. Yeah. You can watch them. You can watch their little paws and hooves running and they're vocalizing and their eyes are twitching. A horse has to have REM sleep or become sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. So either they're in a coma, under anesthesia, asleep, dead, or they're conscious. Well, one other alternative is they're like robots, that they can <laughs> perform intelligent actions uh, based on some sort of algorithms, uh, program, or instincts in the brain uh, without being conscious, like a zombie. I don't think so. Yeah. It's not from what I've observed. Mm -hmm. You know... Um, You've interacted with thousands of animals. Yes, Many thousands. Uh -huh. And, you know, people come with the animals. It's a package deal. Yeah. And uh, the people are very interesting, too. Let me tell you a story about a woman that came to Durango Animal Hospital with a fishing basket. And to the exam room, she came with this fishing basket and started out by saying, I've never liked cats. And I've noticed a couple of feral cats living in the woods near my house. And she explained that it was a warm spring day, and she had the sliding glass door open to her deck, and she saw these two cats come onto her deck. But before she could react, they poked their head through the door and dropped this, she said, as she opened the fishing basket. And inside was a very tiny, very fuzzy, butterscotch-colored kitten. It was extremely thin and very hungry. So imagine my confusion. What kind of unconscious, unloving, soulless beings would drop their starving baby on the doorstep? You know, although many scientists claim animals do not feel love, there's a test to determine who loves you more, hmm. your dog or your spouse. You lock each one in the trunk of a car for an hour and find out which one's happy to see you when you let them out. <laughs> This is a joke, but it highlights that forgive and forget unconditional love the dog has for his people. Mm -hmm. So um, I think they are conscious. I think they feel love. 
and I think they have eternal spirits. They're just wearing different clothing. Well, and in fact, many animals have sensory capacities that far exceed those of humans. Right. Um, we do not have sonar, like bats and mm -hmm. dolphins. We do not have the olfactory capacity of a bear. We don't have the visual acuity of the eagle. We can't shape-shift or transform our skin color or taste with our fingers like the octopus. But the one thing the human does have in superior qualities and quantities to other animals is the ego. <laughs> and the Bible, the Bible says this nicely. Mm -hmm. In Ecclesiastes 18, 3, 18 and 19, it says, if I get it right, um, I said in my heart that God is testing mankind to show them that they too are but beasts. For the fates of the sons of man and the fate of the beasts is the same. As one dies, the other dies, and they all have the same breath, ruach, from the Hebrew word meaning breath or spirit. Mm -hmm. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. And vanity is our ego. We are more creative. Ego makes us more creative. We're more creative than the other beings. I mean, they make, beavers make dams, we make hydroelectric plants, okay? Mm -hmm. We're more creative than the other beings, and the ego makes us vain, and that's why we think we're spiritually superior to them. And we're finding out more and more now that it's more acceptable. It used to be taboo to even say this kind of thing, that animals are conscious or they have language. But over the last 20 years or so, things have changed quite a bit. And mm -hmm. now there's more and more research showing, you know, that even prairie dogs have a complex language and even bees can count. The size of the brain has more to do with how to manage a body mm -hmm. than it does with intelligence in, in, in what you have to do to be a bee mm -hmm. or what you have to do to be an ant. So ants uh, can go for miles looking for food, but once they find it, they beeline back to the hive. You know, we don't. We need a GPS, right? <laughs> they just got it. Uh -huh. So there's all kinds of amazing. We're not better. We're just different. Well, one of the intriguing things to me about animals is that on occasion, animals will rescue humans. I think mm. dolphins in particular mm -hmm. are known for saving drowning sailors. Mm -hmm. Even cats have attacked burglars, mm -hmm. come into the house and they'll <laughs> attack. I think my cat would. She's <laughs> seven pounds of fury. Uh -huh. uh, you know, they can be territorial and they love their people and they will protect them and help people and yeah, dolphins have saved other animals as well, uh, and we save them. There's those lovely videos mm -hmm. of us saving the whales and dolphins yeah. from nets and such. In, in fact, I recently saw on YouTube a video of a, a man had saved a bear cub who was drowning, and the mama bear watched all of this and came and gave this man a hug. Oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the animals seem to know when you're helping them. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with horses mostly for many years, yeah. and a mare will be violently protective of her foal. Mm -hmm. You don't want to get in between a mare and a foal. But when the foals are dying, they 
they know mm -hmm. that you're there to help. Mm -hmm. I remember this one mare. She, the, her foal had colic for like three days and I, and she stood over this foal watching the whole time and she was exhausted. Mm -hmm. And finally she, she sort of collapsed onto her knees. And I looked at her, I said, just lay down, I'll take care of him. So she rolls over and is breathing deeply, and suddenly the foal recovered, gets up, goes over and pops her, <laughs> strikes her in the abdomen and the udder, get up, you know, feed me. And she <laughs> did, and they lived happily ever after. Mm -hmm. I mean, mothers are, you know, if that doesn't depict love mm -hmm. of, across the species, I don't know what does. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about human consciousness for a moment, now I'm in my 70s, so I've had some experience being in this body. Yes. And one of the things that many of my contemporaries will say, you probably would agree with me, I think, I feel the same today as I did when I was a child. <laughs> yeah. It's like the consciousness remains the same, mm -hmm. even though the body changes. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. if that principle is uh, is true, uh, isn't it likely that animals are pretty much just like us in terms of having a center of awareness? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, everything else is different. The body is completely different. Mm -hmm. But it's like there's a person in a different kind of a body. Uh-huh. I love to watch newborn foals because they're so precocious. Mm -hmm. And the mare is still laying there and the foal will be up and you can see them. It's like, oh, what, what can this body do? It's like mm -hmm. a new spirit just entered this body. They're checking it out. You yeah. know, what can this do? And they buck and, and they fall. And <laughs> I mean, if, if I suddenly found myself reborn as a foal, I'd be doing that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It may well be that, uh, um, well, I've done many interviews, and you know Bernardo Castrup, as, mm -hmm. as I recall. He suggests that we all partake of one great consciousness. We're all like little wrinkles in the larger consciousness. Mm -hmm. So, in a sense, there's very little, I mean, other than the physical aspects, there's no difference at the level of consciousness, perhaps, between myself and a, and a fruit fly. When I started reading De Quincey and, and Castrop, I started understanding that, yes, yeah, these people are describing something that makes more sense to me. Mm -hmm. It's not like one being is conscious and another being isn't. I can buy that there are different levels of consciousness depending on the health of the body. Mm -hmm. But, um, yes, to me, it makes sense that everything is spirit. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about the octopus. Right. For a moment. They're very different than humans. Yes. In almost every regard. No backbone. Right. They're invertebrates. Mm -hmm. No spine, no bones. They have a uh, donut-shaped brain. Mm -hmm. They can shape-shift. They can, because they have no bones, they can slither through any little opening. So they shape-shift into all different, and they can camouflage different colors and different patterns mm -hmm. on their skin. So they could be sitting right next to you on this carpet, and you wouldn't see them. So they are nearly impossible to keep in an aquarium because they're always escaping. Mm -hmm. And they can taste with their tentacles. They can taste there's a, a book I read recently about it, and um, you know, if someone had been on a medication, the octopus would touch them and then reel back like they tasted bad. You oh, know? Uh -huh. Yeah. So they, uh, one uh, marine biologist said, if uh, octopus uh, evolved to live on land, they would rule the world. 
So yes, they're quite amazing. They, I've always thought they're very amazing, but and they seem so different. We think of them as alien mm-hmm. in, in in a way, like a creature from Mars might uh-huh. be like an octopus, uh-huh. uh, or I know in the movie Men in Black they have all of these mollusk-like creatures because that that seems so very different than the human. But at the level of pure consciousness, I wonder if they're different at all. I agree. In the in the Netflix series right now, AO the the OA. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've seen that. No, she, I haven't. It, she communicates with an octopus. This uh-huh. huge octopus hooks onto her with its tentacles, and then she speaks oh. for it. Mm. And it's quite intelligent. So uh-huh. I think other people might assume that same thing. I believe they probably are quite conscious. Academics all the time say, stop anthropomorphizing mm. the animals. Mm. They are not like us. Yeah, well, at the Francis Crick Memorial Conference on Consciousness in Humans and Non-Human Animals in Cambridge in, 19, er, in 2012, mm. a group of prominent neuroscientists explored these issues. And, you know, the part of the brain, if it's in the brain, if consciousness is in the brain, the human has the neocortex the prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. that the non-human animals don't have. And they said there's no special substance responsible for consciousness in the neocortex. So they declared that animals are conscious, including Alex the African gray parrot and octopus. Mm. They did an experiment with, they just demonstrated this, uh, how quickly the octopus learns. They had an octopus in an aquarium and they eat crabs, so they put a little cage with a crab in it, but it had a combination lock and the crab tried and didn't get it, but they you opened. Mean the octopus tried. The octopus tried the, the latches and, yeah. and gave up, and then they opened up a, a, a screen so he could see the ca- the aquarium next to him, where there was another octopus who already knew how to open up this cage. They put that crab trap in him, and he went, unlocked it, ate the crab. Mm. So they put the little crab trap in the first octopus's aquarium, and he got it out right away. He learned by watching uh, his neighbor. By observing the other octopus do it that quick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you want to eat, you want to survive, you learn these things. And Alex, the African gray parrot, that was uh, Irene Pepperberg, was a researcher back in the 1970s, and she bought a random African gray parrot at a pet store and taught him to say a 100 words. And he was brilliant. He could do the math of a five-year-old, He, a five-year-old human. She would take trays of different colored objects and blocks, balls, keys, different things. And she'd say, Alex, how many red? Or what color key? And he would answer her. But sometimes he got bored and didn't want to play the game. Mm-hmm. And she gave him nuts. And so uh, one day she said to him, something like this might not be exactly correct, but... She said, Alex, how many red? And he said, blue, one a nut. There were no blue. So she said, she knew he was just being difficult. She said, no, Alex, how many red? And he said, blue, one a nut. Hmm. Alex, how many red? Blue, one a nut. He spells it out for her (laughs) phonetically, right? So she goes, okay, smarty, how many blue? And he said, none. And there weren't, she had not taught him the concept of zero. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to wonder who you're talking to here. I kind of look at animals as just hairy people or feathered people or yeah. armored people or scaly people. They're, and that's what the natives call them. Native too. Americans people. pretty much uh, take the same point of view. Yeah, they're all, we're all one. Mm-hmm. We're all one people. 
We're just different forms.、Mm-hmm. Different tribes, even. Different tribes,、say. right? Insect tribe, and so on.、Mm-hmm. Now, I、um, did several interviews with an animal communicator, Miranda Alcott,、mm-hmm. and she maintained that every species has its own culture.、Mm. Yeah, that makes sense.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Culture would often be conditioned by the body itself. True. Human culture has a lot to do with the our our hands, our feet, our noses, and so、mm-hmm. on. And when I I did study animal communication、mm-hmm. for this book, and、uh, I noticed that when I talked to different species, that you know I have to realize who I'm talking to. That's they're not. Do you want me to give you an example of All this? All right.、Um, my friend's horse.、Um, She was concerned. She bought a new mare,、mm-hmm. and she put the mare in. And the mare was pushing the other horse off of、mm-hmm. the feed. He had there. He had two mares, and this gelding. And she was concerned that the gelding was getting beat up. And she would get rid of this mare if he didn't like her. So、mm-hmm. she wanted me to ask him, "Do you like her?"、Mm-hmm. So the first thing I said to him was, "Thank you for being so nice and letting the little girl ride you." His her daughter rode,、mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, "Huh?"、Yeah. And I thought, "Oh." You know, I, he's not trying to be nice. He just is. Yeah, that's just who he is. He's a nice person. Okay,、mm-hmm. and so then I asked. I said, "Do you like this new mare?" And he said, "Yes, I like her." And I said, "Well, your woman is concerned that she's being mean to you and pushing you off the hay, and that she'll get rid of her if you don't like her." And he said. That's my mare, <laughs> and I went, oh, oh, I'm talking to a horse. In the wild, they're matriarchal bands.、Mm-hmm. The mares are the bosses.、Oh. The stallions just guard, you know, fight over which mares are theirs、mm-hmm. and guard them. I see. Yeah, so the mares are the boss. So then I asked him, "Is there anything else you need?"、Mm. And he said, "We." Need more hay. <laughs> He wasn't concerned about I,、uh-huh. which is this. What is this other kind of consciousness that humans have that non-humans don't have?、Mm-hmm. And I think it is this I consciousness, this ego,、mm-hmm. right? And、um, uh, Rudolf Steiner. Yes. He mentions that everything is spirit, but that humans have I consciousness,、mm-hmm. and so I think that might be the ego. Well, I wonder about ravens, for example.、Oh. I know that they are attracted to things that glitter. <laughs> they they love like I once、uh, was around a raven、mm-hmm. and I had so, a buckle on my shoe and the raven went right for the buckle and started to try and、uh, you know peck and see if he could pull it away and take it from me. I have to laugh because、uh, I ski at Purgatory Ski Area in Durango, and sometimes we come back to the parking lot, and there are a lot of ravens up there.、Mm-hmm. And they'll be in the back of somebody's pickup bed, and they'll have the cooler open, and jars, and bags, and chips, and、mm-hmm. things are all over the parking lot. Having a party, <laughs> right? They have a party. So, a really great book about ravens is "Mind of the Raven" by、mm-hmm. Bernd Heinrich.、Mm-hmm. And again, he was back in the seventies when it was taboo. To say that animals were conscious, and he could not be funded. Irene Pepperberg was not funded,、yeah. but they did their research anyway. They,、uh, he did research, and he had to get ravens to do research on. And、mm-hmm. he said he could not trap them. They're so intelligent; they're he was incapable of trapping one.、Mm-hmm. So he'd have to climb these tall trees and steal eggs and hatch them. And so he did a test.
where he tied a piece of meat to a string and hung it from a perch. So he tied the string to a perch. And the ravens, he thought, you know, the only way to get the meat is for the raven to pull the string up and reel it up with both talons, Mm -hmm. both hands, both feet. Which would be kind of tricky. Right. And so he thought it would take him weeks of trial and error to figure it out. And some flew at it and couldn't get it. And one tried to peck the string off the perch, which is a smart idea, too. Mm -hmm. But he said one walked up and looked at it and reeled it up the first time. Mm -hmm. Not all of them did that, but some did. Yeah. And he said, that's consciousness. You have to play the different scenarios through in your mind and figure out. Yeah, without any experimenting, just watching, observing, and must be some form of thinking. Totally. Uh-huh. You had to think, how will, how can I get that? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, but I wonder if, the, since the ravens seem to be attracted to things that sh- are shiny, I, it makes me wonder if, if they're trying to adorn themselves and, or adorn their habitation in some way that there is a sense of vanity. Oh, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, we can't know. Mm-hmm. There may be some ego. You know, there's the pride of lions, you know, the pride of cats. They, yeah. they feel pretty righteous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they act like they do. I, I mean, it's so easy for a human to project in our consciousness mm-hmm. onto them. And clearly, mm-hmm. uh, their consciousness isn't exactly the same as ours right. by any means. And that's that's the caution that the animal yeah. behavioral scientists lay out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we want to avoid these terms so that, you know, we don't project our way of thinking onto their behavior. Maybe we can learn more yeah. by not saying these things. So I, I understand that and I respect that. But some things are just intuitively obvious. And lack of evidence of love is not the evidence of lack. So, you know, we have to be careful to project that out there that we don't know if they're conscious or how their consciousness differs. But let's explore it. Mm -hmm. Let's look at it. And now more and more research is being done. And one of the things that really strikes me is how they reflect our energy, you know, whenever we're around them. And that happens with people, too. If you're around a scary person, you reflect it, you know, and the animals pick that up. Horses are amazing at that. Mm -hmm. They did a research project at the Swedish University of Agricultural Scientists where they found that if a person leading or riding a horse has an increase in heart rate, the horse has an increase in heart rate. They told the people, you're going to lead this horse down this alley, and when you get to that point, we're going to open an umbrella. And the people anticipated that and knew the horse would be spooked. Mm. So they their heart rate elevated, but they never opened the umbrella. And the horse's heart rate elevated. So animals sense our energy. A more recent one showed that anxious people have anxious cats. And, you know, dogs can tell if they like someone right now or not. Mm-hmm. And people should pay attention to that. You know, when the dog says, Rah, to a certain person, then they're reflecting, I think they pick up, the energy of the person, the mm-hmm. vibrational energy. We do too, but we filter it out with our yeah. prefrontal cortex and our analyzation and be nice and be politically correct or whatever. The dog's just going, oh, that guy's a creep. Humans have now had 
5,000 or more years, maybe 20,000 mm. years of what we call civilization. And it seems to me that uh, what's happening with civilization is we get further and further removed from our natural origins. We live, uh, especially those who, of us who live in cities, we live in a realm filled with concrete. Mm -hmm. uh, we sometimes never even touch the earth. Mm -hmm. We have soles on our shoes. We have mm -hmm. electronics. We, we're so different than our uh, early ancestors. Mm -hmm. uh, but animals, uh, because they don't have that, they're probably closer to their own intuitive instincts. Except for some of the domesticated animals, yeah. like the dog who has been with humans so much. Some of them never touch the ground either. They're always in their owner's lap or mm -hmm. the little bows, and they're going to the beauty parlor, and they're eating at the dinner table. and Riding in the car. Right. You yeah. know, they're just nearly human, some mm -hmm. of them. And, and many people, of course, consider their pets like members of they the family. Do. Absolutely. They're very important. One old man came to my office one day. He must have been pushing 90, and he had a 15-year-old husky. And he asked me, what am I going to do when my dog dies? When I walk my dog, people talk to me. I was like, okay, dog, <laughs> get it together. you got to live a little longer. You know, but this dog was this man's social life. Mm -hmm. It was his companion. It was his protection. It was his... You know, everything is, we, we can never underestimate the power of these animals in people's lives, how important they are. Mm -hmm. And they're just an extension of us in some ways. So, Carlene, humans have such complex relationships with animals, but one fundamental is that we eat animals. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this is controversial. I've gone uh, on and off on a vegetarian diet many times for ethical reasons. It just felt to me not right to eat these creatures uh, if I don't need to, if I have other things that I can substitute uh, for protein. But I, can't, I have to admit, I'm not particularly rigid about it mm -hmm. myself. I've also been a vegetarian at times. Uh didn't serve my body very well, and through process of elimination, I've discovered that most of the grains, and particularly soy, do not work well for me. And so there, there I go with very few things I can eat, and yeah. meat is one of the things I do eat. And I am not, I, if you can be a vegan, wonderful. If you can be a vegetarian, I applaud you. And I think that veterinarians are in charge of animal welfare, and there are millions of people that eat meat. Mm -hmm. It's a huge industry. Uh, Including many them. other animals. Right. And so our job as mm -hmm. veterinarians yeah. is to safeguard the welfare, not only uh, housing and food, but sh transportation, shipping. And we take it very seriously. We work under the U U USDA mm. and to make sure that there are certain guidelines that are followed. Certainly there is abuse, but, you know, we keep working over and over and over to try to find the best ways to keep these animals healthy. Mm -hmm. Because if there's a built-in karma to animal husbandry, I have discovered, if a person takes really good care of the animals, feeds them well, they produce well. They lay eggs, they grow wool, they grow meat. If they aren't taken care of very well, they get sick. And that costs them money. And then they die. So good producers 
realize this. And one of the first things I learned in veterinary medicine, pre-veterinary medicine, I had to take this meat science class. And we learned right away that stress ruins the meat. So any kind of stressful housing or stressful behavior is bad for the meat. You don't hit them. You don't poke them because you bruise the meat. This is all bad for the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Temple Grandin, um, she is an autistic woman who's a animal science professor at CSU. And uh, in the movie about her life, there's a scene in, in the book, Thinking in Pictures. She uh, goes up to this feedlot guy and um, he's at slaughterhouse facility, and she's, there's a dip tank where the cattle have to go through this chute, and then they drop into a tank and are covered with pesticide to kill all their parasites. Mm. But every once in a while, one gets caught in there and drowns. So she's like, that's not the way to do it. You know, you need to do it a different way. And they're like, Miss Grandin, you don't know what you're talking about. And she said, I believe what's good for the animal is good for the bottom line. Mm. Then they listened. She has transformed the slaughterhouse facility. She designs most of them in this country now. They're very humane because she thinks in pictures, being an autistic person, and she believes the animals think in pictures. So she understands how they move. So now the slaughterhouses are circular, and they move the way that the animals move. And instead of having to scare an animal through a door, she can see why they don't want to go through the door. They don't want to go because there's this light going across the entrance. You need to shut that window, cover that window, or move that raincoat. That's scaring them. You know, take that chain off the post so the cow will go in. So um, we... She's done a one... She, I call her God's gift to cows because she's done so much to help... Um, relieve their suffering. Kosher animals in particular. Now, autistic people are not particularly squeamish. They don't have emotional experiences the same as non-humans, or uh, as regular humans. <laughs> she, I'm sorry, because she says their brain is more like the other animal because they have damage to the neocortex, right? Mm. In terms of thinking in pictures, I'm under the impression that's what humans used to do before we developed a written language and we began thinking in words and letters and mm -hmm. linear uh, sentence structure. Uh, you know, before we had alphabets, we had pictorial language. Languages. Right. And speaking of consciousness, a lot of scientists used to say that, you know, and she had a professor tell her that uh, animals aren't conscious because they don't think in words. And she thought, well, I think I'm conscious and I don't think in words. So I think animals are conscious, too. Uh -huh. She was one of the first people to and also scientists to come forth and say, I believe animals are conscious even when it was still not acceptable yeah. to say so. Well, then there's the uh, ethics that some people say, if they're conscious, we shouldn't be eating them. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So. Or, or if they're conscious, uh, we shouldn't have them as our pets, as our possessions. It's like a form of <laughs> slavery. I'm, I, I was doing a talk, and this young college man came up to me, and he was making that argument, you mm -hmm. know, that they need to have money saved for them, and they need to have, you know, their rights protected. And, and I, I said, you know, it's a lot of work 
taking care of these animals. I spend much of my day, mm-hmm. you know, getting hay and cleaning feet and, you know, feeding the cats and giving them fresh water. I think of it as a kept woman. <laughs> you know, you just, you take her to the Bahamas once in a while and all she has to do is be nice and look pretty and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's okay. They want to share their lives with us. It's not, and, and athletic animals, if people think that's that's some kind of torture, these animals love their sports. A horse that doesn't want to race won't race very well and will be sold off for some other activity. A horse that doesn't want to jump does not jump. Uh, one man took uh, a bunch of foals and put them in an arena with some jumps. Yeah. And some foals avoided the jumps and others took them mm-hmm. on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, these animals love their sports, the ones that are good at them, just like people. Well, what about um, the idea of discipline with regard to animals Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the use of painful discipline to train animals to do like some of these uh, ways that some trained animals will trot or... Mm -hmm. We're always looking at that. Veterinarians are constantly analyzing, is this acceptable or not, and Mm -hmm. making laws. They recently came across the uh, Senate with a law regarding soaring in um, Tennessee walkers, I think it is, to make them do the big prancy moves, which is, um, you know, they put these huge shoes on them and chains on their heels and Mm -hmm. to make them do that. And it's just, you know, it's also like cropping of ears, things like that, that Mm -hmm. are not necessary. You know, in the UK, it's been illegal for a long, long time. And very few veterinarians still do crop ears, but people Mm -hmm. want their dogs to have cropped ears for some reason. So that's some kind of vanity thing. Again, you know, I want to look vicious or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... But, and you could also make the argument that uh, some animals like to fight, so why can't we have fighting dogs, for example? Yeah, but, you know, most of these pit, the pit bulls that I know yeah. are the biggest chickens. They're the biggest, lovey, sweet dogs, and mm-hmm. I think they're made to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yes, male dogs will fight other male dogs for territory, female, you know, they'll fight, but to, to fight to the death for, entertainment that is not ethical i know mm-hmm. chicken same with roosters uh i can't really get behind that as being acceptable as i recall back in the middle ages they used to for sport do something called bear baiting where they would have a, a team of dogs attacking a bear yeah i don't think that's very nice either yeah um but you know it's like bull riding People, those bulls have a very sweet life. Mm-hmm. They are very well cared for. They are treated like royalty. And who do we root for? The, I do. I root for the bull. <laughs> Get them, you know, and those poor cowboys. Yeah. Uh, they're destroyed. Their brains are damaged and they're mangled. But the bulls, uh, you know, some horses too, mm-hmm. they like to buck. Mm-hmm. And you find a horse that likes to buck, it's good at bucking, then they'll sell them as a bucking horse. And they actually have a very good life and are very well cared for. So I don't find the rodeos of today to be particularly cruel either. Mm-hmm. I think the animals enjoy playing with us. I know mm-hmm. when I open my horse trailer, if I don't have a halter on my mule, she'll go in there. Uh-huh. I have to go in and get her Put a mule, t- put the halter on, take her out, and reload her. A mule. They want to go. Yeah, I ride a mule. I see. Yeah, and <laughs> belly, and she, uh, she love. They love to go. They want to go to the high country. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's have an adventure. Let's have yeah. some fun. Mm-hmm. They enjoy playing with us. Well, your attitude is a playful attitude. Uh, 
but I under the impression that one of the reasons why people have cultivated this myth that animals are not conscious is because hmm. uh, that's a way we can kind of justify our behavior toward uh, them. And We'd, Mark Mark Beckoff agrees with you. Mm-hmm. I, I interviewed him. I said, "Why have we said that animals aren't conscious? Clearly, they are." And he said, "Because we'd have to look at how we treat them." Yeah. A- and more and more, we do. You know, um, the feedlot is some pl- you know, and the, f- you know, the, what people call the factory farm, which is intensive feeding operations. Yeah. Uh, that is not the majority of cattle, for one thing. Most cattle live in, uh, in, in nature, like on the way here. I mm-hmm. saw a lot of cattle living out in nature. Mm-hmm. 97% of cattle belong to small family farms. And uh, then, you know, you think about it, do the math, because you have a cow and a bull. Mm-hmm. The bulls don't go to slaughter. The cows don't go to slaughter. Cows are making calves. And the bull calves, the male calves, are castrated, and like a third of them go to feedlot, where mm-hmm. they're intensively fed to get that heavy marbling, marbling that prime mm-hmm. cut of meat. And uh, those cattle are basically obese, mm-hmm. and the meat is fat, and they're fed soy and corn, so I personally don't choose to eat that meat either. I like the grass-fed, grass-finished. Mm-hmm. You know, so I choose the healthier form of meat, the healthier animal. And that's, I buy local, grass-fed, grass-finished beef that these cattle are living in the Animas mm-hmm. Valley, have a great life. And it's a short life. Mm-hmm. You know, and chickens, let's look at chickens. From the time a chicken hatches a meat chicken, to the time it is two months old, the breasts are so huge that they fall over yeah. and they're harvested for meat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that they're, we have created meat. These animals have been designed to feed us. They aren't natural animals. They're not like the grouse flying in the trees. Yeah. You know, it's not like the bison of days of old. These are man-made species. And as Temple Grandin said, if we didn't take care of these animals, we wouldn't have them. Every chicken that was is free would be eaten by something. Everything, everything eats chickens. Well, and, but nature as a whole feeds on itself. That's fish eat fish, birds eat birds, mammals eat mammals. I was watching the um, Planet Earth series mm-hmm. recently, and the dolphins had curled up this ball of krill, and they were attacking it from below, and the seabirds, the boobies, and some other seabirds were coming down mm-hmm. from above and attacking it. And, you know, it's a big recycling vat. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it as as that then it's a beautiful thing. Let me tell you a story. One day, I, I, I saw a cricket in my bathroom sink, and it was missing a leg. It was missing a hind leg. So trying to practice Buddhism, be a good Buddhist, not kill things, I, I gathered it up in a tissue, and I took it to the front door to put it outside. Mm-hmm. And right before I got to the door, it fell out of the tissue onto the floor. So I opened the door, and this poor little cricket crawls out the door. I shut the door. And I looked out the window next to the door, and there was a frog. I've never seen a frog on my porch, ever, not before or since. And in one hop, this frog ate the cricket. I said, what? Here I am trying to save this cricket. It was like he was waiting there for me to feed it. Mm -hmm. So I had to think about this. 
and and it reminded me of a story from Seven Arrows. Did you ever read Seven Arrows no, by Hemiostat Storm? No. It's a beautiful book, and it's a Sioux story about Jumping Mouse. Mm-hmm. So Jumping Mouse was a mouse that got frog medicine, and frog medicine is a spiritual jump. It's a spiritual leap. Okay. So when he got frog medicine, he jumped and he saw Sacred Mountain. And when he saw Sacred Mountain, he had to go, I got to go to Sacred Mountain. And the other mice are like, no, 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 you can't go. Eagle will eat you. He's like, I got to go, which symbolizes that once you start experiencing spirit realm, you can't go back to the mundane. You got to keep going, right? So he goes on this long journey, has all kinds of interactions with other animals. He meets a bison that's dying, and the bison says, if only I had a mouse eye, I would live. So he gives him an eye. He meets another animal, same thing. I need a mouse eye, so he gives him his other eye. So this represents um, letting go of your limited way of seeing things. Mm. So now he's out in the world blind, and boom, Eagle takes him. And now he can see Sacred Mountain. He can see everything in the eyes, through the eyes of the eagle. So I thought about that, and I thought, here's this poor cricket that can't jump. He can't even make his little cricket noises because he can't rub his legs together anymore. But inside a frog, he's he's he can jump everywhere. <laughs> you know, so it's sort of this yeah. recycling that. Mm-hmm. If it's spirit, if we're all spirit and outward form shape. So now this cricket is in the frog. Yeah. Okay, the mouse is in the eagle. This krill are in the dolphin, are in the birds. You know, we're sharing. And that, you mentioned the Jataka tales, yeah. which are uh, Indian folk tales that supposedly tell the story of all the the previous lifetimes of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. It starts out he's in a hell realm as a bull, uh, yoked with another bull, and um, he takes pity on the other bull and asks, offers to pull the, the load on his own, and the demon strikes him with his trident and kills him dead. And that's how he got out of hell and evolved. And each of the Jataka tales is a story about how one animal sacrifices themselves for another. Like one animal gives himself to a tiger who's hungry. She doesn't have enough milk to feed her kittens. There's the Monkey King story where um, all these monkeys were in this mango tree eating mangoes happily. And the king came to pick some mangoes and found all these monkeys in his tree and uh, told his soldiers, kill all those monkeys. And so they couldn't escape. The next tree was too far away. But the monkey king was large, and he could jump and reach the branch to the next tree and made a bridge out of his body for all the monkeys to run across to safety. Mm -hmm. And the last monkey was a big, fat guy and jumped on his back, broke his back, and he fell to the ground. And the king came up to the monkey king and said, What are you doing? Didn't you know that was going to happen? He said, I am so happy if I can save my people. And as a king, you too should serve your people. You know, it was a big lesson to him. So this whole idea of sacrifice uh, for the higher good is your spiritual journey. And it's a theme across the religions too, right? Mm-hmm. What did Jesus do? Yeah. Right? How they all sacrifice uh, for the good of the love mm-hmm. of the whole. Look at the Look at the Dalai Lama. He's the Bodhisattva of compassion, the Avalokiteshvara, who could go and be enlightened and never be anymore, but instead he's going to stick it out to the very last one of us is enlightened. He's going to keep reincarnating and reincarnating 
until we're all enlightened. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's very interesting that a uh, Colorado female veterinary doctor such as yourself (laughs) is studying Buddhism uh, because you came... uh, of age, so to speak, in, in an era in which there were no female vets at all. Right, right. As, as I recall you telling me this story, when, mm-hmm. when you told people you wanted to become a veterinary doctor, they laughed at you. Yeah, my high school guidance counselor and all my teachers said, honey, they don't let girls be veterinarians. Wouldn't you like to be a secretary mm-hmm. or a nurse? Yeah. Like, no, I wouldn't. I read a book when I was a, a child called No Job for a Lady and was about the first woman veterinarian uh, in New York City. She was the veterinarian for the mounted police horses. Mm-hmm. And um, so there were some. Yeah. But the year I got into vet school was the first year as 50% women at CSU. Now it's 85%. Mm-hmm. So, so the whole changed. field has changed enormously. Yes. And I wonder if the growing recognition about the consciousness of animals is yeah. also related to the number <laughs> of mm-hmm. women entering the profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, things started to change uh, around... Um, for example, uh, surgical procedures that we learn in vet school. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to get Humane Society dogs and do uh, surgery on them and then euthanize them because they were set for euthanasia. Mm-hmm. And I was always so grateful that I had that experience to do surgery on that dog. But um, other women started saying, yeah, I don't think this is right. You know, we need mm-hmm. to have computer models or something else. Now that computer, computer models are available and there are other methods of doing it, we can avoid that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So yes, it has changed quite a bit. Yeah, they, I, there's a lot of uh, attention being paid. Well, well, I know there's some company called Beauty Without Cruelty, uh, emphasizing mm-hmm. animals used in cosmetic research. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and so the, the condition of animals used in research has often been uh, criticized. Right, and the chimpanzee has been freed mm-hmm. recently as well, which is huge because yeah. they're clearly conscious beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at all the work Jane Goodall has done with them. I can't imagine what it was like for her back in the day when much of what we're saying now was completely taboo and and she's, she's so placid and, and mm-hmm. gentle in her pre- presentation of the information. I admire her a lot. And, and of course, we're most closely related to other primates, mm-hmm. chimpanzees, gorillas, mm-hmm. bonobos, uh, mm-hmm. and they do seem to have... Uh, the ability to learn words. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Right. So Coco the gorilla did mm-hmm. all those signs, you uh-huh. know, and we didn't give her any credibility, you know, and when she, she was given a kitten and, uh, kitten got away, got out of the cage and out of the cage where Coco lived and got hit by a car. And when they told her the cat was dead, she signed bad, sad cry, bad, sad cry over and over again. Mm-hmm. And yet we still didn't think they had emotions. You know, non-human animals don't have emotions. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, we used to think they didn't have pain. Yeah. Alan Schoen, he, in um, his book, uh, Kindred Spirits, talks about when he was first practicing veterinary medicine in New England, and he was trying to tell the cattle producers, you know, the local cattlemen, you know, dehorning cattle, we need to give these guys some analgesia. And they're like, Mm -hmm. no, why? They don't feel pain. He's like, let me show you. I'll do one without, with anesthesia, with analgesia and Mm -hmm. see. I mean, and they did better. Uh But people didn't think they felt pain. And now I have a truck full of analgesics, you know. We sell lots of pain relievers Mm -hmm. for animals, so Mm -hmm. obviously they feel pain. And they have emotions. 
And uh, oftentimes they you know, form uh, long-term uh, bonding relationships. Oh, yes. Yes. Think about the wolf and geese, and there's many, many animals, ravens, that mate for life. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing Bern Heinrich said. He said they mate for life. Clearly, they, I believe they feel love. Yeah. You love that, that particular bird. And they mourn. When, when they're offspring, oh, you know, sometimes a fawn is hit by a car, or dogs get it or whatever, and the, mm-hmm. the deer will, will whine and moan around the neighborhood, and people, it just breaks your heart, yeah. you know, they really exhibit mm-hmm. a distress when their loved ones are gone. I recall one story out of Africa, um, a man who was an animal researcher, and he had spent his life studying the elephants in Africa and working to protect the elephants. And he died. He was living in a cabin somewhere in uh, an African country. And uh, his body was laid out in mourning, or in, in state, I guess you would oh, right. say. right, yes. I and know who you you're know talking this, you about. You know the story. Right. And and all the elephants came to his house. Yes. (sighs) To pay their respects at the time of his Mm -hmm. death. So not only did they show emotion, Mm. they showed uh, organization. Mm. They came as a group. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I I have to assume some form of telepathy. Mm. Yes, I do think they they understand um, beyond words Mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, and there are books by that name, Beyond Words. But I had a cl- uh, clairvoyant tell me that animals uh, read our pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, when we speak, we form images in our mind, and the animals see that. Yeah. And so they also um, understand mm-hmm. us on a different level, like mm-hmm. telepathic level, yeah. which she explained that was a problem for her because she was teaching the horse to lunge, run around the round pen. At the same time, she was learning how to teach the horse to lunge. Mm-hmm. And the horse was going one direction, and she thought, now I need to make the horse stop and go the other way. And when she thought that, the horse stopped and went the other <laughs> way before she asked it. Uh-huh. You know, and the channel Abraham, I was in the hot seat with her one day, and she said, you know, the animals um, get into trouble with us also when we want them to do something beyond their vibrational speed. Mm-hmm. For example, we say, I'll give you my approval if you jump through these hoops, or I'll give you my approval if you run around these barrels. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we ask them to do more than they are really capable to do energetically, and that's when injuries I occur. See. And it's hard to tell people. I've had clients sometimes, I remember this one guy, he loved roping calves. That was his thing. And the horses that love to rope are amazing at it. Mm-hmm. They love it. But this horse, his withers kept going out. I'd have to go do chiropractic and acupuncture on this horse every week. And I said to him, you know, this horse needs a break. This horse needs a rest. Go do a trail ride or just stop. You know, mm-hmm. it's, there's nothing wrong with the saddle. The saddle fits. It's just overworked. He did it too many days a week. And, you know, he didn't want to. I said, then get a new horse. You know, this horse is done. Mm-hmm. And people, they don't, you know, they have a horse that does what they like. They know it. It's like driving your special car. Yeah. It breaks down. Make it work. You know, and it's like, I can't fix it. It needs a rest. So sometimes we need to uh, mm-hmm. encourage people to pay attention to this. Yeah. Well, we're going to do a whole other interview on the topic of animal communication. I'm excited to do it. Yeah. So, uh 
Carleen Stangy for now. Uh, we'll uh, end this very interesting discussion. We've covered uh, a lot of the basics around consciousness in animals, and I suspect many of our viewers will uh, already have a, an appreciation for it because, because they probably have pets and have known all along. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. They know but, their animals are conscious and they love them. Yeah. But we'll be back with more. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, Jeffrey. And thank you for being with us.